0: We thank you for the story of David, of Saul, of Samuel, of Jonathan, and and Michael. And Lord, we just pray that as we look at this this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would strengthen God, that you would encourage, that we would come to understand and know you better, Jesus. And we give you this time this morning in your name. Amen. Okay, right on. So we're going to bite off two chapters. I was thinking, this is kind of like stuffing your mouth full of food and then hoping that you can get everything chewed down and swallowed. Okay, this is this is what it is. So here we are. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 19, and the events that have led us to this point in the story of David and Saul, really like the, the big highlight recently has been this, that David, of course, killed Goliath, his victory over the Philistines and in the valley of Elah and striking down the giant Goliath. The army of Israel, after pursuing their enemies, had returned home, and the whole country had gone out to greet them and to congratulate them with regards to the victory. The the laborers who were working in the field came out of the field. Those who were in the vineyards picking grapes or whatever they were doing came out, the the men and women and children came out of the villages and they lined the roadways as their army came back towards uh, their cities and they sang the song of victory. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And it was at that time that jealousy began to rise in the heart of Saul against David. Samuel had already announced that Saul's kingdom would not last, that it would not be handed off to his son, but that it would be given to another who had a heart after God. It would not continue in the family line of Saul. David, the son of Jesse, had already been anointed by Samuel as the next king of Israel. And the Spirit of God had departed from Saul. You've seen this already, that he's been tormented. Already he has been tormented by an evil spirit. and in his his jealousy, he did this. Paul, Saul purposely set his heart against the purposes of God. This is the man of the flesh. This is what we've been saying over and over about Saul. He is the picture of the man of the flesh. He does not submit to God. He does not submit to God's word or to what God is doing. He does not set his heart on being a blessing towards the purposes of God. Towards, it's even amazing, he doesn't even set his heart knowing that the kingdom is not going to be his. It's going to be handed off. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm going to disciple David. I'm going to take David under my wing and and take this opportunity to prepare him and train him and ensure there's a smooth transition in this kingdom. Rather, like Herod in the New Testament who when the announcement of Jesus' birth came through the voice of the wise men, Saul determined in his heart, I am king and I will see that the prophecy of Samuel regarding David does not come true. And like King Herod, there was murder in the heart of Saul. You know, we've seen already David's like playing his his lyre and, and the harp to soothe Saul during his mad ravings, and Saul had hurled a spear at him. Saul had made him commander over a thousand soldiers, and he sent him off to difficult military operations, hoping that David would be killed in battle. But the Lord just kept blessing David, gave him success in everything he did. Saul's uh, Saul offered his oldest daughter's hand in marriage to David, and then and then he withdrew it. Then he tried to use the lure of his youngest daughter to to kill David. He said, take the lives of a 100 Philistines and you can have my daughter's hand in marriage. And we know the story. You guys looked at it last week. David went out and he killed 200. Comes back unscathed, further captured the heart of the people of Israel, married uh, Saul's daughter Michael, and he became part of the royal family, the king's son-in-law. And the Lord is just blessing David, the, the blessing of the Lord is on his life. The Lord is thwarting every plan of, of the enemy. And meanwhile, Saul's own daughter is falling more and more in love with David. To the heir of the throne, she delights in him. Saul, the, the son of, or sorry, Jonathan, the son of Saul, delights in David, loved him as his own brother, I mean, this is totally maddening for Saul, all these plans and everything he tries against David the Lord towards. The man he hated more than any other is even loved by his own children. And so 1 Samuel 19 tells us the story of three attempts, uh, three more attempts that Saul makes to murder David, to get rid of this giant slayer, three attempts to get rid of his son-in-law and none of them work. So let's check this out. Uh, We're going to move through this in in pretty big chunks this morning. Verse 1, it says this, And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine." And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? So here's Jonathan. He just steps up as, as Saul says, "We need to. Ki- I'm going to kill David." He steps into the gap for David. He warns him. He places himself between his father and and David. And he he told David, "Go go and hide in a secret place." And And I will give a defense on your behalf to my father. And it worked, actually. We're going to read this, that that Saul listened, and he brought David back. He he recognized David had not sinned against him or done anything against him. Verse 6, and Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David. And Jonathan reported to him all these things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again. David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck him with a great blow so that they fled before him. So, you know, David just has the grace of God on his life. I want us to see that this morning. God is just blessing him. He's been brought back into the house of Saul He he struck down Goliath, and now he is sent out to war again. And and we just read this, that he strikes down the enemy with with a mighty blow. The Philistines are crushed by the hand of David. This isn't going to be good for David and Saul's relationship. We read on. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in the house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. So here's the picture we've got. Here's David. He's striking down the Philistines, and we have Saul striking the wall with a spear. David's hitting home runs for the kingdom of God, hitting home runs for the Lord, and Saul is striking out, and Saul is plotting the murder of this man, David, but Jonathan at this point had intervened. Now, I just, like I said, we're going to move quickly this morning so we can grasp some bigger thoughts here. The next pattern, this pattern repeats itself, but now it's not Saul's son, Jonathan. It's with his daughter, Michael, the king's own daughter. Jonathan, his son, has intervened on David's behalf. Now his daughter is going to intervene on David's behalf against her father. Verse 11. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Now, could you imagine? Here he is. He's he's escaped the spear, fled to his home under the cover of darkness, and on this night, we find out this, that Saul actually sends assassins to the house of David. They're outside the walls of his house and it's on this night actually and I want to encourage you to go home and read this. I mean just for the sake of time we don't have time to do this today. On this night is the very night that Saul that David wrote Psalm 59. The 59th Psalm. It's amazing. And actually tonight I want to encourage you to come to prayer tonight. Tonight we're going to take a quick peek at Psalm 59 before we go into prayer. And you know It's amazing. I just think this. like Imagine you're holed up in your house knowing that there are people outside your home. They're ready to take your life. They're assassins sent from the king. You can't call the cops. There's no calling the police because the king has actually sent these people to kill you. What are you going to do? Well, David turned his heart to the Lord. I mean, you read in Psalm 59, he said, Lord, you're... You're the God of heaven's armies. You're the Lord of hosts. You're my strength. I will sing to you. I will sing praises to you. Oh, God, you are my fortress. You are the source of my steadfast love. We sang that this morning. We said, yes, I will. Even in the lowest valley, I will praise your name. And that's what David did. He turned his heart to the Lord, hold up in his house. But he wasn't trusting four walls for his safety. He said to the Lord, you are my strength. You're the strength of my heart. You're my fortress. You will let me look and triumph over my enemies. I just think this, that that is the power of praise right there. That is the power of singing to the Lord. You know, David had already seen this in the life of Saul. He saw that when evil comes and when evil spirits are present at work, that when you worship the Lord, and when you praise the Lord, when you determine to do so, his peace and his presence comes. He'd seen it physically happen in the life of a man named Saul. And now, even though the enemy surrounds his house, he is determined that he will make his home a fortress of praise. Is that your house? Is your house a fortress of praise and worship? Look, at that's what defends us, the Lord. David raised his voice, and he worshiped. And it's just amazing to think how helpless this man would have felt. But he prayed, and he worshiped, and, and the Lord led him to a place of quiet confidence where he said, I will see victory over my enemies. Now, verse 13, it tells us this. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed and put, it, put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent his messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. Every one of us has tried this when we were kids, right? Sneaking out or something like that. Verse 17, Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me? Thus, and let my enemy go so that he escape. He has escaped. And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So, you know, first of all, I got to say this. Don't ask me what the heck Michael is doing. I don't know what she's doing. Why does she have this idol in her house that's similar size uh, to a, a grown man? I don't know what it, what, what's going on here. The text doesn't tell us, but she uses this idol... And she uses lies to cover up uh, what's happened that night. Now, I don't want to, in no means do we want to justify this. The writer is not justifying this action that she's a liar, that she's using deception. David's already gone. Like, David is already long gone. She could have just said, he's gone. He escaped out the window what we're getting here is insight into the character of this woman. We know know this. We know that she despised David in her heart. When When he danced and sang before the Lord in all of his joy when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem, she hated him for worshiping the Lord. And so we're getting, and the Lord closed her womb for that. And so we're getting picture and we're getting insight into her character. She had helped David get away, but she incited more hatred from her father with her lies and saying, he threatened me. He said, why should I kill you? Let me go. You know, I just think this, I'm like, man, I was thinking about this as a dad, like threaten a man's daughter and what is going to be the result? Right? Think about that. I I was picturing in my mind, you know, I often joke at like a wedding rehearsal, you know, when When the bride gets walked down the aisle by her father and you ask that question, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the young man approaches his bride and before he takes her to the altar, he shakes the father's hand. And I say in the rehearsal, now's your opportunity to make your threats and give your, you know, whatever it is. It's an acknowledgement. When we do that in a marriage, it's an acknowledgement that this bride belongs to the father and the father is entrusting her into the hands of the groom for his care and protection. And to betray that is to incur a father's wrath. And David had betrayed nothing, but Michael fueled the jealousy and anger of Saul with her lies. Lying never benefits us ever, church. It's never justified. We might think in a moment, oh yeah, it's okay, and we get away with it or whatever. But it always comes back to bite, and Michael put fuel on the fire of Saul's hatred for her own husband. And so we read here of two failed murder plots. Saul's children have intervened against their father, Jonathan and Michael, And David leaves his own home and he flees to the city of Ramah where the prophet Samuel is. And Samuel is going to come back into the story with us here. He hasn't been around for a while, for a number of chapters. Of course, Samuel had anointed Saul as king. And as a result of Saul's disobedience to the Lord's command, Samuel had also been the one to announce to Saul that the kingdom would be taken from him, that the Lord had rejected him as king. And Samuel was also the one, of course, had anointed David as the next king of Israel. And Samuel has has had nothing to do with Saul for a long time. Years have gone by. So let's see what happens here. Verse 18. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him, and he and Samuel went to live at Naoth. Now, Samuel here again is taking his life into his hands by associating with David. Remember this when, when the Lord said, I want you to go to Bethlehem, and I want you to anoint the son of Jesse as the next king of Israel. Samuel said to the Lord, Lord, if I go, Saul's gonna hear about it. he's gonna kill me, and he's gonna kill the son of Jesse. But the Lord said to him, Go. I told, oh, here comes the garbage truck. Man, we were joking this week. We're like, I think they've moved their time to eleven o'clock. It's gonna crash and bang and okay. Let's deal with it. <laughs> At least we got garbage service. Okay. So the Lord, the Lord said to him, "Look, it, I don't want to hear your whining. Just go. I told you to go." And Samuel obediently goes, and he anoints. David. Now, 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 Here's Saul. He wants to murder David. David's escaped with his life, and now, you know, Saul has the opportunity. He's got Samuel and he's got David together, and they're in Ramah. Let's check it out. Or Naoth, and it was told Saul. David is at Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing his head over them. The Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul. May the Spirit of God come upon that garbage truck driver right now. The Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. Come out. (laughs) Oh, so funny, isn't it? We've been talking about this a lot. How does this happen every Sunday morning? I don't know, whatever, okay. Uh. Here, this is amazing. Look at this is amazing. Saul sends his men to go get David, to capture him, to bring him into custody, to arrest him. And instead, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and these men begin to prophesy in the name of the Lord. Now, now let's read on what happens here. Uh, when, when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again a third time. And they also prophesied. You know, in the New Testament, there's an account in John chapter 7 that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they sent their soldiers, temple soldiers, to arrest Jesus. And uh, the soldiers came back empty-handed. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to them, what happened? We told you to arrest Jesus. And they said this, no man ever spoke like this man. They just listened to the teaching of Jesus and walked off. And here's Saul sending his men, and they're being filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying. Verse 22, then he himself, this is Saul, went to Ramah, and he came to the great well that is at Seku. And he asked, "Where is Samuel? where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah, and he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, Is Saul also among the prophets? So this is crazy. Here's Saul. He goes to Ramah, he comes to a well, and he says this, can you give me directions where to find Samuel? Where is his whereabouts? And he asks this question, and he gets directions. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He prophesies all day, all night. He strips off his clothes. He's laying in, his, in the buck. This is humorous, you guys. Uh, all night prophesying. This is quite the visual, isn't it? My God, we have an illustration here. No, just kidding. We don't, okay? And I just want to clear this up right now. If any of you try this, the elders will haul you out, okay? Here he is naked. That's just weird. It's a strange story. And Samuel, it's interesting, the text doesn't tell us, what was Saul prophesying? Saying that he is prophesying you know, I think this is important. I always like to remind us of this with regards to prophecy. It doesn't necessarily mean that he was foretelling the future. To say that he was prophesying means that he was foretelling, he was declaring the glories and the praise of Almighty God. Like a river welling up inside of him to the overflow of his mouth, he was declaring the wondrous praise of Of the Lord God Almighty. There was once a time in 1 Samuel chapter 10 when the Holy Spirit came upon Saul again and he prophesied, and the people said this about him at that time too. Is Saul among the prophets? They they said it with a sense of awe and respect and marvel this was their king. But now he's lying naked. It's, it's humorous. It's a joke. It's actually pathetic. The naked prophet. Is Saul counted amongst the prophets? <laughs> like, seriously? Is this what he's become? And this encounter with Samuel is a mirror of what we've already seen with regards to Saul. I want to show it to you this morning. These very same events had happened to him when he had been anointed king, but now as it's repeating itself, the outcome is very different. Remember when he went looking for his father's donkeys? I want to chuck up a graphic on the screen and just share with you a few things that happened to him. I think it's our next slide there. You can throw it out. Going back in Samuel, we saw this, that, that Saul came to Ramah. He was looking for his father's donkey. He came to a well, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 11, and he asked about the whereabouts of the prophet, the seer, Samuel. He goes, and he has an encounter with a group of prophets, and he's, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he begins to prophesy, and people marvel. They say this, is Saul also amongst the prophets? And the Spirit of God comes upon him, and the Word of God tells us that he was changed into a different man. Not that he was born again, not that he experienced regeneration of the Holy Spirit, but that he was empowered with authority to be the king of Israel, to be the leader of God's people. And now this same sequence is repeated here in chapter 19, but this time, it's tragic. It's comedic. It's kind of funny, but it's one of the most tragic, like as I like to say about Saul, you know this to me, is one of the most tragic characters in all of Scripture. Look at what happens here in chapter 19. Chuck that up again. Saul comes to Ramah, 1922. He comes to a well and he asks for directions. Where is Samuel? He's given direction. He prophesies with a group of prophets, 1923. People really are joking. They're mocking. Is Saul also amongst the prophets? And the Spirit of God comes upon Saul, and I want you to see this. He's not clothed. He's stripped. (laughs) It's an interesting picture of the work of the Holy Spirit, don't you think? Makes me think of Psalm 51. You know, when David's confessing his sin after his sin with Bathsheba, and he says to the Lord, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. David had seen what had happened to Saul and how the Spirit of God had stripped Saul. The first time the Spirit came on Saul, he was changed into another man, but this time the Spirit comes upon him and he is stripped. The power is gone. The authority is gone. I mean, as we read in 1 Samuel here, the demise of this man, now we see this that Saul is only king and title. That's it. He's naked. And it's embarrassing. It's a joke. This is the tragedy of the man of the flesh, King Saul. You know, you and I, we battle against the flesh, don't we? We battle our flesh. Sometimes we have victory. In the battle, sometimes the flesh gets the better of us. But we look to Jesus and we say, Jesus, take not your spirit from me. I'm lost without you, Lord. Ultimately, we want to serve King Jesus. And and we know this, that, that Jesus is enough. The cross is enough, even when the flesh has won the victory. Jesus is our joy. Like like David, Psalm 59, as he's holed up in his house, we, we have to turn our hearts towards the Lord and remind ourselves that Jesus is everlasting truth and Jesus has given us his spirit. And the spirit lives in us. I'm so thankful. I mean, we turn to the New Testament and we see this, that we can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, that we can be filled with the spirit. We can be empowered by the spirit. By the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, we declare the praise and the glory of our King, King Jesus. We we declare that there is salvation alone in Jesus Christ's name, that there can be victory over the man of the flesh. But that fight against the flesh is hard, isn't it? But you know, the day is coming, church. The day is coming that we will look at the flesh like Saul laying there naked. We'll look on the ground and we'll laugh. We will say, by Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, you've been stripped. Jesus took your authority. Jesus took your power. The flesh is defeated and King Jesus is victorious. You know, the word of God says this, that the Holy Spirit will perfect that which concerneth you because you belong to Jesus. Let me ask you this question. Where did the flesh get the better of you this week? Where did the flesh get the victory? Was it a fit of anger? Lust? Sexual immorality, envy, jealousy, drunkenness, rivalries, dissension, division. My friends, I want to remind you the gospel and the word of truth this morning that Jesus Christ loves you. And He's called you by name, and He's given you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to bring a day when you will laugh in victory over the works of the flesh, amen? You will laugh at the flesh and your flesh will declare the praises of Almighty God and King Jesus. I'm so thankful for that. So thankful for Jesus. So thankful that Jesus has given us His Spirit. So, chapter 19, here we read about three murderous attempts against David that are thwarted by Jonathan, by Michael, and by Samuel. This is actually Samuel and Saul's last encounter with one another. The next time will be Samuel will be dead, and Saul will have so descended that he'll go to a witch to call forth Samuel's spirit from the dead. Saul is stripped bare. And while Saul laid there before Samuel, David escaped, and he went to find Jonathan. Now let's turn to chapter 20. It says this in verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death you imagine like David's again, just the place that he's in that he's like, I'm one step away from death, Jonathan. One misstep and your dad's going to get the better of me. Jonathan didn't believe it. My father wants to kill you. No, no way. I already went and talked to him. I smoothed this whole thing over. Remember he brought you back, but Jonathan didn't know about the latest spear in the wall. Or about the midnight assassins creeping around David's house or his escape to Samuel and all that had gone down. Now we read on, verse 4, it says this. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I shall not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked to leave me ask leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant. For you have brought your servant into covenant, into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself. For why should... You bring me to your father. So David and Jonathan, they come up with this plan to reveal the true heart of Saul. He'll skip out the new moon festival, the feast at the king's court, where he's expected to be both as a commander in the army and as a son-in-law of the king. And Saul's reaction to David's absence will be the telltale sign of his intention towards David, and so as they hatched this plan, as they lay it down, David said this, I- I'm guilty of nothing, but if I am guilty, then just kill me yourself, Jonathan. Don't hand me over to your father. And Jonathan said, verse 9, Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well, Disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you?' Verse 13, "'But should it please my father to do you harm, "'the Lord do so to Jonathan and more, "'if I do not disclose it to you and send you away "'that you may go to safety. "'May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. "'If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord "'that I may not die.'" And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. This is the covenant between David and Jonathan, they're like brothers, like father and son. Or at least I would say this, it's a review of the covenant that they had already made between them. Jonathan knew that David was going to one day be king. And he prayed this, he prayed that God would bless him. And they planned, as you read this text in its entirety, they actually planned that Jonathan would serve as David's second-in-command. Jonathan was willing to be in that spot, but, but here Jonathan says this, but if anything goes wrong, you know, we've made these plans, and I'll be your second in command, and you'll be king, and we'll serve God together, but if anything should go wrong, and something happens to me, I ask this, that you would promise not to wipe out my house, my descendants. Now, we can understand, this was the usual practice of a king in those days, right? It's like, you secure your throne. So any threat to the throne is removed, but David promised. And it's an awesome story. If we were to flip this morning to 2 Samuel chapter 9, we'd read the great story about Mephibosheth. Love that story. A hidden son of Saul that David didn't know about, who when he was uh, revealed, David brought him into the king's court and he sat at the king's table for the rest of his life. David honored his covenant with Jonathan. And so these two, they, they affirmed the covenant. And Jonathan's such a good friend and a source of encouragement to David. But, but ultimately, it wasn't God's will that David's throne would be permanently connected to the house of Saul. Saul Saul's family had to be removed. And Jonathan, as we know, is eventually killed in battle. But this was the plan that they had. David hides out. And Jonathan goes back to his father's house for the feast. David skips. I'm going to read the whole text this morning and kind of just quickly retell it for the sake of time. So day one, they're celebrating the feast of the new moon and David's not there. And Saul notices that he's not present, but he doesn't say anything. But then on day two, when David isn't present again, the king asks his son Jonathan where David was. And Jonathan tells him, David's gone to Bethlehem, he's with his family, there's a the great feast, his brothers commanded him to come home, and yeah, I told him he could go. And at that point, Saul turns right on his own son. He hurls insults at him, he, he, he questions the legitimacy of his birth, he he eventually hurls a spear at Jonathan, and Jonathan knew the intention of his father was to kill David. Jonathan realized no longer was he able to mediate between his father and David. Saul was determined to kill David, and this is the point where in our story, in the story of God's Word, where Jonathan has to choose. Saul accused him of siding with David to his mother's shame and And Jonathan has to choose, and Jonathan chooses David. It's crazy. Amazing. So his father chucks a spear at him, and and Saul treated Jonathan. Actually, Saul treats Jonathan just as he treated David. And so the Word of God tells us that Jonathan got up in a rage, and in his fierce anger, he went to David. Uh, He recognizes there's no more negotiating with my father. There's no more mediation that can happen. None of that's going to work. There's no other option. There's no other alternative plan. I can't accommodate both my father and David. Just like we can't accommodate both the spirit and the flesh. Jonathan had to choose. Sorry, my mic was sliding off my face there. Now it's really loud. Jonathan had to choose. Peace with David or peace with Saul. Now let's jump all the way to verse 34, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. It says this. Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field, into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry! Be quick! Do not stay! So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. And the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another. And they wept with one another. David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed. And Jonathan went into the city. This is the last time that David and Jonathan never uh, see one another. Jonathan's going to be killed in battle. There's going to be lots of stories before we read about that. But Jonathan, as I said, he he had to choose peace with his father or peace with David. And as we've been seeing through our journey through 1 Samuel, Saul is a picture of the flesh. David is for us a picture of Jesus. David points us to Jesus. In this sense, we are not David. I want to say that again this morning. It's been a big theme for me in my own heart. We're not David. David points us to Jesus. Jesus. In this story, Jonathan is the picture of you and I. And like Jonathan, we have to choose, church. You can't serve Saul the flesh and serve David the anointed at the same time. We have to choose. There's no alternative. There's no accommodating the two. There's no mediation that can be made. And I would say this, this is where we want to be like Jonathan. Jonathan's a wonderful picture for us because Jonathan chose David, and you and I need to choose Jesus. And it's amazing because you read this, and and this conflict of choice for him between Saul and David, the conflict of choice for you and I between uh, the flesh and the spirit will lead to conflict in your life. It brought Jonathan into conflict with his own family with his father. Serving Jesus is a choice, and sometimes it's going to bring you into conflict, and sometimes it'll be within your own household, within your own family. Jesus spoke of this. Jesus said this, if you don't hate your father and your mother, you can't follow me. And we know this, when Jesus said that, he wasn't saying literally hate your father and mother. He was using comparative terms, illustrating how fiercely loyal we have to be to him if we're going to follow him. Loyal over father and mother to Jesus. Sometimes serving Jesus will bring you into conflict with the culture. But Jesus said this, if you love this world, The love of the Father is not in you. Serving Jesus will bring you into conflict with culture. Sometimes serving Jesus will bring you into conflict with your flesh. (laughs) You know this. Serving Jesus will bring you into conflict with the desires and the appetites and the bodily, fleshly desires. And Jesus said this, Unless you take up your cross and follow me daily. If you're to come after me, if anyone would come after me, they must take up their cross and follow me. Meaning this the flesh, it's got to be crucified. Church, serving Jesus is a choice. And serving Jesus will mean this. You are going to have to make difficult decisions. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Men who are just such an amazing illustration in the word of God to us of boldness and courage that's needed to serve God. They were not willing to sacrifice their conscience. They were not willing to sacrifice their integrity They were willing to follow the Lord and honor the Lord no matter what it cost them. They were willing to lose all, including their lives, rather than sacrifice their integrity and their loyalty to the Lord their God. You know, at the end of the day, that's all you have. This right here, you and the Lord. Homes and money and things and holidays. And at the end of the day, it's all chaff. You and the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego honored God by trusting them even to the sake of their own loss. Jonathan honored God by choosing David even to the sake of his own loss. Jesus said this. He said, you have to seek the kingdom first. I'll look after everything else. A man's life does not consist of what he owns. And this text just, it reminds us this, that Jesus is worthy of our loyalty, church. I think about Saul. He's jealous of David. He's afraid of David. He's suspicious. He wants to murder him. But Jonathan... Jonathan loved David. Jonathan was one with him in spirit. Jonathan believed David was king. Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Loyal to David even at the cost of his own family relationships, Loyal even at the cost of the relationship to his father. Here's Saul. He's stripped naked, rejected as king. But Jonathan stripped himself too. 1 Samuel chapter 18, he took his robe, the robe that identified him as the heir to the throne of Israel, and he laid that robe on David. He gave David his sword. He gave David his bow, his belt, his tunic, and his robe. Jonathan said to David, I know you're going to be king. I know that the kingdom belongs to you, and I will serve you as king. Jonathan's an example to us of what it means to follow Jesus. That we have to give up our pretended rights to the reign and rule of Christ Jesus. Jesus is to be our king, church we give him control. We lay down our rights for him. We say of Jesus, you are my David. You are my king. Like John the Baptist, you must become greater and I must become less. I renounce myself to serve Jesus. The story is pointing us to Jesus. David points us to Jesus. And the question of the text that we would be left with this morning is this, this question, the question is, each of us must ask ourselves, am I Saul or am I Jonathan? Saul tried to cling to power. and He watched it slip from his hands. Jonathan acknowledged the kingship of David. He gave over his imaginary claim to the throne. Jonathan confessed his loyalty to David, and he entrusted himself into a covenant relationship with the king of Israel. And that king looked after Jonathan and his descendants. How about you and I? This is the gospel, isn't it? This is the gospel that a king came to save us. That he came to save us from our sin. That he came to save us from death. That he came to save us from our flesh. And Jesus Christ came in the flesh and he went to a cross where he bore the sin of mankind in his body. And there he died and was buried. And then he rose from the dead. Jesus is risen from the dead. Will you submit to him? Jesus actually said this, you'll either love me or you'll hate me. Jesus said you're either for me or you're against me. The choice is ours. Let's pray this morning.